0: Hi, I'm Ashley Nichols. I'm Casey Boyd Swan, and this is the Growing Democracy Podcast. A space for citizens, experts, and advocates to create community together. Each week we invite a guest to talk about civic engagement, governance, and how to grow our democracy. This episode is part of a series on governing during pandemic. We're talking with local elected officials, public officials and community activists to learn more about how local governments and organizations are responding and adapting to our shifting needs during this public health crisis. And then this episode, uh, Casey, we're talking with Mayor Annette Blackwell and she brings so much to the table and in, in thinking about how local governments are responding to the pandemic But she's also our first elected official we've talked to. I know. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. Um, I think to be able
1: to think about the differences between folks that are advocates, right, working in a nonprofit organization or community activists, and how their response to stay-at-home orders and the and the pandemic will look significantly different than those of elected officials, right? Because elected officials are doing the work on, of the government, but more than that, they are held accountable to a very specific group of people, and that is the folks that voted them into office.
0: Absolutely. And one of the things and and one of the reasons that I'm so excited to have Mayor Blackwell with us is she also is the first Black woman mayor um, of the city that she is mayor of. And so she brings this really important and powerful lens to this work of governing Um, And this work of governing during this public health crisis that is disproportionately impacting uh, black people and, and people of color.
1: Right. And I, th- I think that we can all imagine that her journey to uh, gaining the position that she has as mayor looked significantly different than it would have uh, for any counterparts that were you know, either not black or not a woman and or not a woman. Um, but more than that, that once she's in office, that the challenges that she faced might look significantly different as well. So I think it would be really interesting to hear from her uh, what it's like to govern during this time.
0: We're really fortunate to have Mayor Annette Blackwell with us today. She was sworn into office as the mayor of Maple Heights on January 6, 2016. Before taking office, she was a successful business professional who worked at places like the Key Bank and uh, University Hospitals of Cleveland. She is the city's 16th mayor and the first woman and first African-American in the city's 100-year history. She's also the city's director of safety and acts as the chief conservative of the peace for the city. Um, welcome to Growing Democracy podcast, Mayor Blackwell. We're really glad to have you. I'm happy to be here. Thank you for having me.
1: So I'm going to start us off and I would just really love it if you could tell us a little bit about your role as the mayor of Maple Heights. In particular, what are some of the general duties that you have in your current position?
2: You know, this question always excites me. I love to answer it because I think people forget that this city is a business. It's a $35 million business. So I am the CEO. I'm the chief executive officer. Um, It is my job to generate revenue through economic development, reduce expenses by uh, looking at our finances, uh, really kind of trending house income tax collections, Looking at delinquency ratios, property tax delinquency ratios, all those schools get most of it, but the portion of that makes up my budget. So there's a couple streams of income for cities, income tax being the most significant followed by property tax. There's a portion we get from the local government fund and that's a little bit of, that comes back from the state and we get almost a million dollars. It's been cut significantly over from the past administration and we also get grants. So those are our streams of revenue. So I get very, very close to the financials. I spent 16 years at Deloitte and Touche and Ryan. So I have a a strong tax background, although I'm not a CPA. I run it like a business. I have almost 200 employees. So I've got a human resources component, three unions, fire, police, and the service department. Uh, I am the public relations person. I have a public relations degree. And so I need to always tell Maple Heights' story. I can't let journalists tell Maple Heights story because they will tell you it's a dangerous, poor, dirty place. It is not. So I am very, very focused and strategic about the marketing and the public relations that I do myself. Uh up until about six months ago, I was also was the city's economic development director because we couldn't afford one. Or we have top twenty-five taxpayers. I'm in their lunch room, I'm in their board room, I'm at their company picnics, so because I need to make sure they stay in the city, and that we can generate revenue. And then I seek grants for, right now, we're looking at LED lighting. We do have some crime. I'll never shy away from that. I do believe that light abates some crimes. So we've put some cameras and LED lighting in our biggest park. We've had some issues working with First Energy to do the same with some of our street light. So I'm, I'm the champion. I am all Maple Heights, pro Maple Heights. I sleep, eat, breathe Maple Heights. The buck stops with me.
0: It's always really exciting to talk about talk with people who are um, so passionate about the work that they do. What drew you to this work? You have a professional background in business. What made you decide to run for elected office?
2: I was on student council in high school. I was the first African-American vice president of my senior class at Valange and St. Joe's, which is just uh, here in Cleveland. Uh, uh, it was an all-girls Catholic high school. Now it's co-ed. My dad ran for the union at the Ford plant and he was literate. He could write and read, but he just couldn't really put a letter together. So at eight years old, I'm on a manual typewriter, writing dad's campaign letters. And then mother putting in these big Shirley Temple, you know, with the pressing comb in our hair for the campaign photo and go to Kinko's or whatever it was back then. And we go on a Sunday between shifts and pass off 500 letters. And so I understood politics and the power of advocacy. But really, it started as a little girl. I moved to, to the north, Ohio, as a two-year-old. I was born in Selma, Alabama. Nobody knew where Selma, Alabama was until the movie came out. Um, my dad came up a year earlier in 61 to find a job and then came back to get my mom, my sister and I, after he find a job. So I am from Alabama. I am from Jim Crow. My grandmother was the cook for the white family it was a plantation let's call it what it was and she had a little house next to the big house and it was white and she was their cook so summer camp was not something we got to go to we got to go back to the south you help on the farm because my grandmother got older because her job and her housing was tied to her being able to cook for this family so i would cut the lemons for their sweet tea which i absolutely love sweet tea and help her until she got sick and came to the north. And I say that people still call the south and the north. My mom, after my parents' divorced, moved back. And she's in Mobile, Alabama, which is about two, two hours from Selma. But uh, And now my daughter's going to go to Huntsville to do an uh, internship after we tried to get out of there. But it always it annoys me. And it's, it's it, when people don't understand when they say north and south, as we're still one separated, we're a separated country. The union won. The war is over. It's not the North and the South, okay? It's the United States. But I find myself saying I'm from the South. And when I go visit my mom, you know, uh, I am able to go. I was there. Uh, I went MLK politics and spent some time with her. She's a widower now. They, they say, oh, you're a Yankee. But some people say, I can hear the Southern. Well, I'm from two places. And I can put on the dialogue very easy when I'm in Mobile, Alabama at church. And I can speak articulately, you know. It's like no one other, no one else that may have a, uh, some kind of, uh, what's the word? I can't even think of it now, but you know, y- your, your, your culture comes out. So that's who I am. And so coming from that kind of place and, you know, the three pictures in a, in a black person's home is JFK, Robert K and Jesus and probably Martin Luther King, but if they don't have R they'll have JFK, Jesus and MLK. So I grew up with that understanding of what justice and, and the whole thing was. But what happened here in Maple Heights is I'm from the St. Clair Eddy Road area. I was not born and raised in Maple Heights. It was an Italian city. And my dad actually was the first black bell captain that worked here at a hotel here. He died in March and I won in November. So he didn't get to see it, it happen where he was carrying bags. Now his daughter is, is the mayor. But I've always had a sense. I was captain of the guards, a sense of leadership. And we moved here in 1997. I was working at Deloitte, by the way, and my uh, boss, a, a tax attorney, and my husband were bartering services. He hates to paint. And my husband likes to paint. My husband doesn't know elect- electrical work, and we were putting can lighting to remodel our basement. So my husband went to Strong'sville to do the painting, and Mr. Rapaz came here to Maple Heights to do the can lighting. And we it's a, were living on the east side of Maple. There's two sides of Maple. It's the east side and the west side. We lived on the east side first because they were, were never shown the west side. So I am two streets over from Walton Hills. Walton Hills is right down the street. And so he said to me at the time, I know what I, you make and uh, you do very well. You don't have to live in Maple Heights. You should move. And I said, well, I like it. And we would have dinner every now and then. So we were always responsible for the dessert. So one night after dinner in Strongsville at my boss's house, we took a walk after dinner because he wanted to show me the house across the street from me because he insisted I moved to Strongsville, that I'd be more acceptable and I was successful at Deloitte and that I should move from Maple Heights and I should move to Strongsville. And I resisted. And then coming from East Cleveland, um, my dad, who didn't read very well, gave me a book about the Vance Waringens in Shaker Square in Cleveland. And I read all about Moses in Standard Oil. And, and I could picture these mansions. I'd go try to find them. And Maple Heights was being called the next ghetto. And I didn't like that. I was offended to say that where I live wasn't good enough. And the way I could be better is if I moved to Strongsville. Well, there's a little Italy. There's a little China. But somehow it was something wrong with Blacks all living together. And at the time, we're probably about 50 percent, 57%. African-American, we're 71%. So it just made me mad. And I was a change agent at the time. And now I'm a change captain. All of those things shaped me and said, you know what? Not another ghetto. I'm not moving again. We bought a beautiful home on the West side, parks right down the street and got to roll out my bed and go to Tinker's Creek. I love it. Um, my street's diverse. I've got Russians across the street. I, I'm fine. If it was all blacks, I'd be fine. I, I chose where I wanted to live and if people judge me because I live in 44137 Maple Heights. Then they're missing out on a person that could probably be very beneficial to their corporation, anything they're
1: doing. I love that story. I think that that's so inspirational to hear, hear you just, fight back about that and say, no, this isn't, you're not going to define me and you're definitely not going to define my neighborhood. Um, So, so often we find that people aren't clear on what the role of local government is. What does Maple Heights city government do? What is the function of the city government? We maintain the infrastructure
2: we make, and we make improvements to infrastructure that's broken or not serving the people. Well, a dangerous road, uh, a block sewer, We make sure the lights, the street lights are on. We shovel the snow. So we provide basic city services for this town of 23,000 people, five and three quarters square mile. Um, We make sure that if there's danger, the police, you call the police, someone will come and save you. If you fall and you can't get up, an ambulance, a squad with training EMT is going to get you to the hospital or or, or perform life-saving measures. If the structure's on fire, well, the truck's going to come and hook up to a hose and put the fire out. Our job, simply put, is to take care of the people. There's a group of people who are public servants, and their job is to take care of the, pub, the residents that live in that municipality in which they're residing by taking care of those things they take for granted. Somebody make sure those street lights are on. And if you have a whole bunch of trash after a cookout, there's a truck that's going to come and pick the trash up.
0: How does your city or our cities in general, but Maple Heights in particular, work in relationship with other local governments? Right, you're you're a, you said five and three quarter mile space within northeast Ohio, so there's all these other kind of local governments, state government. What is that relationship? I
2: happen to be on the executive board of the Cahoga mayors and city managers, it is a local government group made up of managers, and there's two cities. In Northeast Ohio, they have city managers. So we, we believe in Heights and Bedford have city managers. And we discuss best practices. We unite as we are right now with the HEROES Act to get money uh, from this new stimulus package to put into you know our local government fund because we're all down about 30% in, in revenue based on people not working and not paying income tax, our biggest source of income. We try to support one another with not continuing education like when I was working at the firm or anything like that, but continuing education as far as understanding what the legislations are, what the challenges are. We work then with our our government here in Columbus, so uh, the state government and and the federal government in a collaborative way. We have some regionalization right now. uh, The biggest regionalization happening for cities is dispatch centers. So we are part of Chagrin Valley, which is about 18 cities. You know, 911, you're not getting the Maple Heights, you know, squad across the street from City Hall. You're getting a dispatcher that's also a dispatcher for 13 other cities. And they did that as a cost-saving measure. That is a big deal right now. The losses we're expecting, discussion we're having about regionalization. They love to regionalize fire departments. And just to bring that home, we're 23,000, but up the street, North Randall, before Amazon was put up there, they have about 1,100 Residents, you go another block, and that's Highland Hills, where Cleveland uh, Clinic South Point. Well, it's on the warrensville Heights side of the street, but other side is Highland Hills. They have nine hundred people. warrensville Heights is, is thirteen thousand. I think befford Heights is about ten thousand. befford's about uh, a little almost twelve thousand. So, on Saturday we had one hundred nine police calls. That was just Saturday. Sunday, we had about 85. I think Friday was oh, 93. I'm trying to remember my police calls. So that's just one day. A city like Highland Hills with 900 people, they may have 50 calls for the entire month. And then there's the issue of hiring more police. With everything that's going on, people, it's not an honorable position in some people's mind. It still is. So one of the challenges I had was that you've got to diversify the police force. You've got to diversify the police force because When I arrived, there was one African-American officer. We now have four Hispanic women. I'm sorry, an Indian woman from India, a Hispanic man, and I have four uh, African-American officers. But I got that by changing our civil service rules to allow for lateral transfers. So two of my officers come from East Cleveland. Well, East Cleveland needs their officers because we're all trying to fish in the same pot. So you give a civil service example your fear you're going to pass, and they some say the test is biased. Or I lost two officers to two more affluent communities. Breakfastville and Broadview Heights can pay $10,000 more. I can't compete. So we have to go to this lateral transfer, but you take from this community. How do you achieve that? So, you know, if we were in corporate America, when I was with Ryan Tax Solutions, because we were so, our division, I was in property tax consulting, because of Sarbanes Oxley, you couldn't be the consultant and, and the and the and the, otter, and the so we were sold to Ryan. Ryan bought six companies while I was there. Uh, so they bought a small CPA boutique firm, they bought an IT firm, and you bring that talent to. So if you got a small company like that, you buy it. So, but those uh, cities have a mayor, a police force, a fire chief. Their bright shiny um, ladder truck. I'm trying to. I'm applying for a grant to get a ladder ladder truck, but they shine and keep shining and Kind of sits in the middle of the driveway. It's not going anywhere. There's no high rises in these little towns, so regionalization is being looked at, and it should be. And of course, I come from a different perspective because I wasn't on council. I wasn't on planning and zoning. I literally won uh, in November, worked through busy season in uh, December, and and was sworn in on January sixth. So I came really from a business world with you know without the well we and then I heard for the first six months we don't do it that way here. And the biggest criticism of me, because I asked one of the persons, what are people saying about me? I thought they'd say something about, she's a woman, she wears high heel shoes, she's, you know, or, you know, something, or she's black or something. I don't like the way she talks or she uses slang, but they said she's too corporate. And I do think, like, what's the utilization? How do we measure success? Let's do a, you know, SWOT analysis. Like, what are your smart goals? And I'm looking, like, what? These are people who got jobs out of high school, not diminishing them, but just telling you, give me a profile. Uh, they knew someone, they worked on a campaign. Unfortunately, they don't always have the skill set. So I am coming in with this high level business and I'm going, why does it take 50 minutes to get a permit in building? Why is this line so long? Found out we only have one computer, only one person to use. Okay, so that's called, called cross training. Okay, well now she's trying to take my job. So that is those, that's what we're doing and with those challenges. And so re, one. the only area that we're really are regionalizing and there's a cost savings and there's added benefit is in the area of dispatch services. But we do collaborate as mayors on, again, those legislative items where we need to push it through for the people that we represent in our respective communities.
1: Now, Mary, you know that obviously we're recording this in the midst of a public health crisis and the COVID-19 pandemic. How has this pandemic shaped or reshaped your work or the work of the city?
2: We are. It sounds so cliche, but it's appropriate. We're in it together. Police and fire. There's always competition between police and fire. It's it's just it's just police run all these calls and they and and the fire department's making chili and trading recipes and making you know Spanish outlets or something because you know a call may come in every five days. So that kind of competition, that kind of I don't want to use their but that kind of. Uh, Inconsequential things are not an issue because we're all in this together to save lives, to keep one another safe. We're sharing PPE equipment. The fire department gets a donation of 200 masks. They're making sure the, those of us at City Hall are getting them. Police are saying, hey, do you have what you need? We're sharing these cleaning solutions to wipe down door handles. We are on a lot of the call, Zoom calls together. If someone's on a Zoom call with Marymount Cleveland Clinic, which is a hospital in Garfield Heights, not far where we transport, And someone else is on a call at South Point, which is the other Cleveland Hospital, this way on Orangeville Center Road. They're sharing notes to ensure best practices. we work together to implement safe distancing protocols uh, when our workers were working from home. We're learning um, tools like what I'm on today together. We are making sure we're doing mental health checks. We're asking how are we behaving you know, how are we doing? How are we feeling? And then from the service standpoint, we've not cut one service. I've had, we've got a phase one. I do have to make some cuts. So we, we had to make a few cuts. We were not able to engage in the service, the independent contracts we have with seven grass cutters to cut our high grass, vacant lots and, and uh, vacant homes where people were non-compliant. So I had to give that to the service department. So we're doing more with less. It's being creative. We are measuring results. We are looking at utilization. We are being innovative. We are doing SWOT analysis because when you're in a situation like this, it's like war. You've got to hunker down. You've got to have a strategy. You got to find your courage. You got to use your outside voice. You've got to rely on your faith and your friends and your family and all the resources at your disposal. You've got to stay positive. You got to champion and you've got to. Put your arms together and, and say we're in together, and you go to war together. If you say your chant or your prayer or whatever it is, if it's like a Friday night football, you go out and you, whatever it is, you're the Tigers or the Mustangs, as we are. And so that's what is done. We are one heck of a team. We were a great team, but we're a heck of a team now.
0: Are there any specific functions that the city is responsible for that you, as the city, have to continue to provide during this time? I, I know when we're talking to a lot of people, you know, there's a, there's a lot of discussion about what the county is doing, right? The, the county health department or what the state, how the actions that the state is, are, are, is taking. But what specifically is your role at the city level in terms of those functions that you continue to provide, even if in really complicated manner?
2: <laughs> well, the hardest for us, of course, is enforcement, social distancing. So someone will say, there's a hair store open. Aren't they... You know, they're not an essential business. So for us, we are taking our cues from the federal, then, then the state government, and we implement because those are the, the policy makers. And when the government puts an order like that together, then we have to figure it out. And then the county, uh, we link to the Board of Health to just keep track of the cases. How are people doing? How many people white or sick, which then gauges how responsive we need to be, how careful we need to be interacting with the public. Is there anything we should be doing? It helps me decide. Will I open the spray ground this year? Will we have music in the park? Will Should I take the swings down? Should I take the basketball courts down? How do I then achieve safety? Minimize the number of positive cases, certainly minimize the number of deaths. Being an African American city predominantly, the challenge is even more because these are more at risk people. Myself, I have high blood pressure. So you've got these pre existing conditions of people who don't always have the best health care or, you know, through hereditary, my mom has it, you know, I don't think I do anything differently. I'm not a salt person, but you know what, but I'm predisposed. And so it's even more challenging. So the biggest challenge to answer that question is I'm um, we've got to be prepared for more squat calls. So we've got to have more disinfectant at the fire station because you gotta disinfect the squat after every transport. The dish by of Chagrin Valley is asking it's the questions are different rather than asking the address and and what's your emergency. They're saying, okay, if it's a call for a squad call, does anyone has a temperature, you know, what are, so, so then that EMS professional know how to, how to prepare that there's a possible case. Same thing with the police after each shift, the, or if there's a transport to the, to the jail, but we do have a jail at the police station, they're disinfecting. And so how we're maintaining uh, our equipment the safety measures that we need to implement to keep ourselves safe save those that we have to transport and interact in our jobs how aggressive we need to be and responding to the calls of non-compliance do we do it in a polite way or do we inf- do, or do we really go in, in an enforcement man or do we just say move it along it, it, so judges how many people do I need on on a shift the police so staffing issues. Our food, we have a a senior center, a human services department. So we have a food pantry where people go three times a week. We have to extend the hours. And that's a choice food pantry. But we also have a produce giveaway at a local church that we man that too. So we, and then we have the, the, uh, what do you call those stable meals that for our home deliver, they get three meals a day. So our drivers drop them off. We used to knock on the door. Now we put in a bag and we hang it on the door because these are at risk people, our stay at home seniors. We have uh, probably over 125 percent increased our home delivery meal, our food, uh, our produce. We were getting six pounds of fresh fruit, produce and vegetables, and group to ten thousand pounds. And now we're getting the, the dairy boxes will be coming in the next shift. The line at St. Andrews, uh, which Eastern Orthodox Church up the street, you know, now is wrapped around, and people start lining up at nine o'clock. So all of those things have changed, um, but it's all really dictated by what is happening? What are the numbers being reported out from our, our our health director in Columbus? What are what's being closed, and we have to make sure is closed to maintain the health and quality of life and minimize the death and the devastation. What can we open? Because I also have to balance keeping people safe, without also, you know, uh, having economic devastation that we can't recover from here in Maple Heights.
1: Mayor, I I know that cities have plans in place and, and your city has this in place, right? If there's a natural disaster or if there's, you know, a myriad of other things that can come up, how are some of the challenges that you guys faced during this pandemic? Some of them were probably expected, but were there cases where it was unexpected and you had to kind of figure something out on the fly to to get that to work?
2: The deep cleaning so our emergency plans, you know, where do you go if there's a tornado? Where are you going to go if there is a gas, uh, some kind of chemical spill or hazard or some kind of act of war or destruction? Um, so natural disasters, uh, acts of terrorism, we had plans for. We were not prepared for large number of infections that spread rapidly. You know, there's cases at... Amazon, Amazon is across the bridge. It's literally five minutes away. If you go down the, north, on the road, cross the bridge, there it is. Um, so how how do we treat and prepare for a large number of people being sick? Our school's closing. Now our kids are at home. There's an increase in domestic violence. So there's more police calls. We did not have enough police. We had no idea how many police we would need. How, how much overtime would that take? to take care of all these people. You know, we have hospital gowns and all of those things in the squad, but how many face masks do we need? Do we, should we have face masks for our seniors that are quarantined at home or if they're quarantined at home, we, we kind of said, okay, we'll fig- they'll let them figure it out, but we probably should. And so how much we didn't, I know there was nothing in the plan. Like if this happens, you should have face masks. You should have this much clean. And what, what was the cleaning solution we had? Was it, was it enough, have enough, I forget what the chief told me, enough, and that were truly sanitized. or were just, was it too water-based? So we didn't, ha- we just didn't know that we would need protective, personal protective equipment for the most vulnerable, all of them, not just some of them. Would it be necessary to keep the workers safe while they're at work and at home? We found out at home too, because I need to be able to come back tomorrow to do my job and leave this city. And where do you send them? There's no shelter. There's no school that we can make shift. Now, we were prepared to do that and we had to identify where we could do that if they had to make make shift hospitals, but we didn't get to that level. We're going to use, of course, the high school gym, which is the biggest place to do that. But if it had exceeded that capacity, you know, what if the worst had happened and the, the death toll of the sick exceeded the capacity of the high school? Where were all of the places we so in the moment we had to identify every place we could use for hospitals? I mean, for hospital beds and, and medical care.
0: What are some of the success stories uh, from the city's response? I, you know, there's a lot of complications, but what are some of those things that you want to just hold up and say, "We did this," and you know, this is inspiring.
2: There's a map, like a heat map, that comes out from the county board of health, and it, it's shaded so you know how many cases. We do not have a significant number of cases. We did not have a significant number of deaths. That's a huge success. People didn't get sick. Not as many people got sick. Not as many people died. People were able to stay healthy. And those that the population that did are recovering. Our employees came to work and they put themselves at risk every single day to provide that service I talked about at the beginning of the interview getting those food boxes ready, getting the food pantry ready. Working the extra hours because now we were open three days a week. I think we were open from eleven to four or something. Now we're open eleven and eight. Adding the extra hours, uh, packing another you know hundred fifty boxes of food, serving lines of cars, but around the corner. And then when the last car comes in, there's not something they're finding stuff that they can make a box. We have uh, our staff at the senior center are making wellness calls. They're calling the seniors so that they, to see how they are wellness checks. We're, we're making those calls and we're finding that, that our seniors are thriving and surviving and they're so hopeful. We maintain the hope here in Maple Heights. We minimize the deaths. We minimize the sick and we recover. I shouldn't say recover. We're recovering because it's still we're recovering from COVID-19. And there was a, uh, a job elimination from a permanent part-time and there was a layoff. But the way the enhanced uh, unemployment program is a person will still be able to do okay. So what could have been, and the employees were really concerned about their jobs being lost. Also, out of almost over 100 employees, one termination was a part-time and one, only two. No one has had to take a pay cut and no one's furloughing and no one's quit.
1: What has been the response of the community to the city and changes that you guys have had to make? It sounds like there's been an increased demand for services. Definitely. Has there been any pushback on protocols and, and enforcement?
2: Yes, of course there has. I was, uh, there's going to be a news story probably the way you're on channel five. I'm not very happy about it. Just got a briefing this morning, 830. A uh, party of 200 people, about <laughs> four streets over from me. Um, uh, it took about seven police officers damage to police car. We can go on and on. Joe, Joe, what's his name? Uh, Ed Gallagher would do what he does if he runs the story. Honestly, and I, I only do honest and I don't, it does not have to be cut out. If They just haven't taken it seriously. Here we are, a community that's over 70% African American and we're having parties with 200 people. The week before, I had a party with 50 people. There's lines around the corner at a hair store. Um, There's groups of kids, you know, it's pent up anger. The school's, you know, pent up frustration, anger, restlessness, paranoia in the street, you know, playing ball. Because I did take the hoops down. I did take the swings down. People, you know, Memorial Day just passed. There were huge cookouts. I mean, just cars across cars. And there were bounce houses in backyards. I mean, the, the police, I didn't ask them to do that kind of patrol that day there were so many other things but there, there it hasn't been an understanding and i'm one that uses social media in a, in a way where i'm probably too transparent they still want there's a critter under my porch i need you to get it i'm working these service guys who are supposed to be doing streets right now are cutting about 400 yards they won't cut their grass so we still have to enforce and cut up the grass because the neighbor doesn't have a cookout, doesn't look at the grass, of the house, across the street. We're not doing our job. They have uh, not been as patient as I would believe. And I have to say, we're in a pandemic. We're doing the best we can. You know, keeping the same level with less. They haven't been as compliant so that we can stay on track to, to come back stronger than ever and just get through this. There has been um, domestic violence, a lot of domestic violence. Some of the women and men are in now spending every day with their accuser. They can't go to work and get away. There are cases of molestation. A person, a child that could go to school to get away from the molester is now in the house with the molester. So uh, the response has not been, wow. This is dangerous times, it's unprecedented times, and we're all in this together. We have done that in the administration. We have not felt the support from the community. And I say that because that's my truth. I have to go in and cheer those guys up, and women every day, it comes from the top. They believe they're doing the right thing, and that's where that collaboration with other cities, they hear some of the same thing with other cities, some of the frustration, the fear, and so we're able to share those stories and say, so, okay, okay, it's not just us. So we have not gotten the support. People want what they want, like they've always gotten it. They don't want anything less. And no pandemic is going to stop them from getting what they want. I've got a trash can here and I want it picked up. And when is the trash coming? And so we, what I've committed to do is we're going to provide the same level of service that we always have. And the, and the most optimal time frame, frame that's humanly possible, given the fact we're in a pandemic. And I don't make apologies for that. And I don't get into shouting mores. And I don't get into finger pointing. I just stay the course.
0: I think that's really powerful because, right, they elected you to take on this position. Um, and you are in, unlike maybe a city manager uh, that is not elected, that maybe can make some of these difficult decisions without having that same level of electoral pressure you are making these tough decisions um and and one of the things I hear you saying is also that you know you're you're trying to be really transparent maybe you think that it's too transparent but I think it's really powerful to say this is my truth You're showing your heart again you're using facebook as your journal <laughs> um, but I think it's really powerful because I think that while uh, that your constituency also sees that right you're still an authentic human and so what are some of the ways that you know, you're trying to share information with people and you're trying to collect information at this time. It's so hard, right? There's t- new tensions, increased demand, increased pressures on you for delivery of services. So what does that communication um, from constituents uh, and to kind of Maple Heights government look like right now when you don't have in-person city council meetings and, you know, all those other things?
2: Well, we are doing um, WebEx and we've been doing it for city council meetings. We've been doing WebEx since the pandemic started. And the governor issued the stay-at-home order. And we, we share it. I am, uh, I am one to share it over and over again. So we may share it five times up until the meeting. Because people keep saying, I didn't see it. Well, <laughs> i have shared it five times. Um, I We didn't have a real social media presence. Having a public relations degree, it's huge for me for people to know what we're doing and feel engaged and feel prompted to get to, to, be, to stay engaged and to take a look and also to not have to call five different numbers on an old faded magnet city, most frequently city on your, on your refrigerator. I, I finally threw mine away like two years ago. I think it was disgusting, but, um, but where can people go and do an online complaint about their neighbor or the dog barking, or you know, the raccoon or waste management and pickup or whatever the case might be online because people have their smartphones and sometimes they're calling from work and, Difficult times. So so we have a 24-7 presence. You can't reach someone from 830 to 4. Well, you can go online and fill out the street light form. And so we're not collecting a lot of data because people are staying in. And people, whatever they're doing, uh, they don't want to share because they think they're big brothers watching. They're going to come and look and see that I've got 10 people in the backyard, not three. And so they're they're actually being very reticent. They're being very, very close. So we're not collecting. But we are sharing a lot. So we have Facebook, we have Twitter, and we have the website. I am adamant we should be, and then I have the Senior Center create their own Facebook. They weren't sharing their stories. Let them know when the food pickup is. Uh, We just got new LED lightings. Let someone know. And and just regarding the call, I wrote by and there's tons of weeds. And I want those weeds out of the way. We still have to look like we're thriving. So the Senior Center started their own Facebook page. and, And I absolutely demand that they update, not show people's faces, show the food, show what we're doing. Because our singers now are going, they're, they're using Facebook. And the police started on their own, their own page on the fire is not so so much. So we've had so many citizens and local business stop by without requests and donate gloves, hand sanitizer, mask, one of our alteration shops, one of the hair stores, uh, brought in cleaning supplies. People from other communities. and said, you know what? I used to live in Maple Heights or I had a girl I dated in the 50s. And, I, and so we share those stories of heroic acts, compassion acts. People relate to human stories in times like these. And so it's not oversharing. We're sharing all the time. It's our way of checking in with people. We're okay. We're moving forward. People are helping us, they're dropping off masks. We're staying safe, and we're also demonstrating the safe practices. We're being filmed with our masks. We're showing our masks. We're deep cleaning. Uh, we're planting. I still plant the flowers for Memorial Day. We didn't have the we, had the, we didn't have the, the parade, had, but I plant the flowers. For Memorial. We're still planting flowers, and so I we're sharing, not collecting, and we're sharing to prove that we're still working hard for them, that we're practicing social distancing, that this is how you reach us if you need us. And this is what's going on all over we'll share stats from we don't share the the sick the, the, the numbers of sick people infected or death we'll sh- we'll just share that uh, you need to continue to to uh, we're still in this thing together without giving them the details they can hear that they can go to the COVID 19 website they can hear that in the, the, the governor's uh briefing but i try to make it local and relevant so we're sharing but we're really not doing much collecting
1: Mayor, what is it that the general public can do to be involved or get involved? How can they voice their concern, offer their expertise, or offer their support during this time?
2: One of the things they can do is join the webex. Just call in. You don't have to announce your name, but call in to the city council meetings that via webex. They can. There's neighborhood news that serves four communities: so it's Garfield Heights, Maple Heights, Valley View. Cuyahoga Heights and I'm in Bedford and oh, I'm sorry, in Newburgh Heights. So that one paper serves. And so read the paper, write an editorial. Maybe there's something you want to share. Get off your chest. I just did an editorial. I'm in, I did the editorial for this week. Mayor Kalova, Garfield Heights did one last week. And I think, Mayor, uh, oh, oh, Jack Bocce. Uh, he drives me crazy. I should never forget his name. He's always teasing me. Cuyahoga Heights did one. Trevor Elkins on Newburgh Heights. So we're we're talking about it in our own way. But but residents can also do editorials. They can put an ad in very inexpensively saying we're in this together and a picture of their family or them and their PPE equipment. So engage reading the local newspaper as well as the 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 city's the the, the, the area's newspaper, the plain dealer, sharing their thoughts in an editorial or, or some cute little ad. Donating like some have done, um, PPE equipment, or the police are working a lot of hours, pizza, soda, water, helping to help plant flowers at City Hall, remembering the trash collection date, remembering that everyone's on edge and and being kinder, gentler, more forgiving, more tolerant because tempers are flaring. People are on the edge, staying connected to the local worship services. A lot of them are online for inspiration and to, to be reconfirmed in your faith. Sending, I answer my own emails. I know it's crazy. My, my staff hates it. You see, I, send me an email. I'm going to answer it. Send me an email. I'll, you see, I, I, I'll answer it. Send someone, send someone, the staff that you kind of knew, you have a question. Connect with that person. and Maybe they're your person to help you get through where you go in City Hall. But you've got to do the work. You've got to help us help us. You don't have to lock arm with us. Help us by doing your part to be the best neighbor and the best citizen that you can. It helps us better prioritize on what we must do and where we need to be and for who we need to be there for.
1: Mayor, thank you so much for joining us. It was such a pleasure talking to you today, really. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to the Growing Democracy podcast. I'm Casey Boyd-Swan and my co-host is Ashley Nichols. Our podcast is edited by Jeremy Demery at Knox Studio right here in Cleveland, Ohio, and supported by the American Political Science Association. If you like our show and want to know more, check out our website, growingdemocracyoh.org. Join us next time when we talk to Jerry Pena, longtime community organizer and Cleveland-based activist.